As I'm thinking about the message that I was going to be preaching this morning on Job, it's, uh, it led me in a variety of directions. I have to be honest with you that Job is one of those guys that, that fascinates me. His story is incredible in a lot of different ways. Incredibly good and incredibly tragic. Uh, it's incredibly inspiring and it's also very humbling. And, and so my mind went a, a, a lot of different directions, one of which was to think about the foundation that our lives are built on. And obviously, as you think about the construction of anything, the foundation is vitally important. I came across some, some material on the world's tallest building. Guys, we've got a picture. If you don't mind it, to pull that up, why don't you take a look at this? Here, this is, turn the lights down just a little bit, Austin, if you, if you don't mind. Turn them down so we can, we can see that. This is a real picture. This is not a drawing of the world's tallest building. It's in the Middle East. It's in Dubai, United uh, Arab Emirates. This is the world's tallest building, dedicated just toward the end of 2010, so it's brand new. And what an incredible-looking building. It actually kind of has a, 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 a wide shape. The foundation has three different parts there. It's interesting, this building is, is about half a mile tall. I picture that. The half, could you imagine being on the top floor of that thing? Whew, my goodness, hey, you're inside, but I, whew, I'm not sure. It has swimming pools uh, every so often because it's got a lot of residential areas and so on. And actually, the swimming pools I was reading, they're both inside and outside. You can swim from inside out to where the balcony area is. So, conceivably, there's a balcony that you can look down. How on earth would you want to stand outside in that? I don't understand, but it's amazing. Here's some facts about it. It has 160 stories. And picture that. 160 stories. They're all residential areas, lots of luxury suites. There are dining uh, areas and so on, lots of restaurants, corporate offices, of course. In the foundation itself, there are 110,000 tons of concrete. 110,000 tons of concrete just in the foundation. There are 192 pylons in the foundation that are buried, that, that are buried what is it, 164 feet deep. Picture what you're seeing. You've got the, the water out in front, and then 164 feet down, 110,000 pounds of concrete, tons of concrete, and all those pylons supporting that big old building. No wonder it's able to be a, a half mile tall. Guys, you can take a The building obviously rests on its foundation. There is no more important piece of that building than what you cannot see. Think about that. The most important part of that building, you can't see. They don't want you to see it. Because it's not real pretty. Doesn't look like all that glass on the outside. Just a bunch of concrete and rebar. <laughs> not real pretty. That's how vital important it is. Because that building is able to withstand the wind and the ground shaking from time to time, I'm sure. Not because of the pretty spire on top, but because of the 110,000 tons of concrete that were poured at the very beginning that no one can see. That no one is really that interested in seeing what a tool that would be. Here's the foundation. But wow, how important that is. Without the foundation, obviously, the building would crumble under its own weight. And if it didn't crumble under its own weight, it would crumble under the pressure from outside forces. As I thought about the story of Job, I thought about the importance of the foundation in his life. And I thought about the question of why do some people seem to stand in the midst of difficult times? 
why do others think it's funny? Maybe you've been on both sides of that. Maybe you've got friends on both sides. Maybe you've got someone in your life, maybe it's you or someone else, who really withstood the pressures of life and the difficulties that life throws at you. And you know why. It has to do with foundation. And then you see others who, who literally crumble. Their lives fall apart. Their faith is gone. And difficult times come. I'm not talking about the fact you had a bad day and you're just down in the mouth a little. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the very foundation that your life just crumbles. And it has to do with, obviously, that foundation. Why do some people fall and others stand when hard times or, or tragedies come? I believe the secret is, is found, obviously, in the Scripture, and I think particularly the life of Job helps us understand why is it that some people stand and others fall, and how can we be the types of people who have such a foundation of faith in our lives that we are able to stand in the midst of very difficult times. Look with me in the book of Job. As we continue this morning our series on 11 great lives from the Scripture that we can learn from, see how God works, and, and then begin to put into practice some of what they did as well. Job is right before the book of Psalms. So if you're not familiar with the Bible, you can find Psalms kind of turn right to the middle, look to the left just a little bit, you'll find the book of Job. It, it's spelled the same way as Job. It's J-O-B. And we're going to look this morning at Job chapter 1 and, and part of chapter 2. Job's story is very important. Um, it, it's, it's one that begins very innocently. Look at it in verse 1 of chapter 1. There was a man in the country of us named Job. It's sort of like, once upon a time, here's a guy named Job. And doesn't it start so innocently? And yet, if you know anything at all about the story of Job, you know that quickly things change. It's not once upon a time anymore. Here it goes. He was a man of perfect integrity, who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, that's pigs, 5,000 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. His sons used to have banquets, each of them at his house in turn. They would send invitations to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings to all of them. For Job thought, perhaps my children are sinning, having cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Stop there. The first thing we learn about Job's story is that Job was full of faith and integrity. I think it's important that we note that. This is not some side story. This is what sets up the rest of the book. Forty-two chapters. We learn a lot about Job, but we learn nothing that's more important than what we learn in the very first verse. It is full of faith full of integrity. He said he was perfect integrity. Does that mean he was sinlessly perfect? No, he was still human. But it just means that in his commitment to the Lord, he was complete. He was faithful. And I'm sure in times when he sinned, he repented and he turned around and he kept going toward the Lord. So he feared God. It means he respected God and his laws and what God had said and he did his best to live a life of faith. He turned away from evil and his integrity. He had seven sons and three daughters, it said. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 5,000 yoke of oxen, 5,000 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the peoples of the East. Now, this is the greatest man. The terminology here could be the richest man. Not only was he full of faith and integrity, he was 
His, his wealth is measured in terms that we really don't think of today. Because he lived during a, a period of time where you didn't measure wealth in money, you measured wealth in what you had, the stuff, the, the cattle and the land and the servants and so on. But understand, here's a multi-millionaire who is faithful to the Lord. And that, that is the place that we must start. We have to see that Job is full of faith, full of integrity. Let me get to verse 6. One day the sons of God, these are angels, came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord asked Satan, where did you come from? And he's not ignorant of where Satan has been. He's just starting a conversation. Hey, what have you been up to, he said, from roaming through the earth, Satan answered him, and walking around on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? No one else, no one else on earth is like him. A man of perfect integrity. Here's what God says. Who fears God and turns away from evil. Satan answered the Lord. And here, here is, in my mind, the most pivotal sentence question in the whole book. Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you placed a hedge around him, his household, and everything he owns? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions are spread out in the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord said to Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, you must not lay a hand on him, on Job himself. So Satan went out from the Lord's presence. Job's story includes the fact that he was full of faith and integrity, but also that Satan believed that Job served God because of the material blessing. Satan believed that Job served God because of the material blessing. Satan comes into the presence of the Lord, and God says, Hey, here's a guy who is full of faith and integrity. And Satan says, Well, yeah, of course he would be. Now, who wouldn't be? You, you've protected everything he's ever done. I mean, look what all you've given him. Good grief. I mean, who would not be faithful to you when you've given him all these things? Do you see the sarcasm? Do you see Satan's accusatory tone of voice toward both God and obviously toward Job? He says, does Job fear God for nothing? He's accusing Job and accusing God of finding the value in serving the Lord in something besides God himself. He's finding, he's accusing Job of finding value in serving the Lord in, in the stuff that God did. So Satan sets out to prove that if all were taken away, that verse 1 would no longer be true, that Job would no longer be a man of perfect integrity who feared the Lord and turned away from evil. He says, you take it all away from him, guess what's going to happen? He's not going to follow you anymore. In fact, he's going to curse you to your face and walk away. God sets out to prove otherwise. God sets out to prove that Job would hold to his faith, that there was more to serving the Lord than the material blessing that he might provide. We have this cosmic competition to a certain degree, but none of us can fully understand. We'll get into that a little bit next week. But you see what Satan's trying to prove. You see what God knows from this Look at verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, while the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, the Sabians swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. He was still speaking when another messenger came and reported, a lightning storm struck from heaven. It burned up the sheep and the servants and devoured them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported, the Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels, and took them away. They struck down the servants with a sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
he was still speaking when another messenger came reported, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine at oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people so that they died. And I alone had escaped the plague. Then Job stood up, tore his robe, and shaved his head. He fell to the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I have come from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Praise the name of the Lord. Throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. Job's story is not just one of faith and integrity, or one of Satan believing certain things about him, but it's also one where he lost his, his money, he lost his family, and as we'll see in just a second, he lost his faith. Just like that. As he was still speaking, he says, all of this in, in rapid succession, his money, his faith, and eventually we'll see his health. How is it that he did not crumble in the midst of all that? How is it that he could have the response, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away? And many of the translations probably said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I have come from my mother's womb, and naked I will return. How does he say those things? How does he not crumble? What's interesting is Satan's not done. Look at, look at chapter 2. One day the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? From roaming the earth and walking around on these Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? After all this stuff has happened, no one else, no one else on earth is like him. A man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him without just cause. Skin for skin, answered Satan. A man will give up everything he owns for in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Satan's not done. He's still attacking. He's still accusing. He's still believing that the foundation of Job's faith is vulnerable. And he continues very well, the Lord said to Satan. He is in your power, only spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence and infected Job with incurable boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he saw him in the ashes. His wife said to him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Amazing, amazing story. He loses everything important to him. His money. We can't deny that money is important to us. He loses his family, literally loses his family, all ten of his children. He loses his health, and then ultimately also loses the support of someone who was supposed to be there through thick and thin, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer. And what does his wife say? Push God and die. There's no point in living anymore. You're useless. Look what God has done to you. He loses everything. He lost his health and the support of his wife, and I'm sure at that point, it may have felt like a last straw. What more could happen? Have you been there? <laughs> you ever just think, wow, in rapid succession, look at what has happened. And if one more thing happens, I'm not sure how I'm going to handle it, or I just could have done it without that. <laughs> Maybe you've been there. I don't know why I have. It's amazing that even though he lost all that stuff, <laughs> he says, can we accept only good and not a good thing? He did not sin, it says in verse 10, in what he said. 
Now, I'm not going to get into real deep to his reaction this morning that, that really happens in the subsequent chapters leading up to when God begins to speak to him in chapter 38. We'll get into that a little bit next week. But I want to focus mainly on the fact that through all of this, Job's faith in the Lord remained humble. That's one thing that we do know about him. We'll see that he has a very human reaction, which is both allowable and, and presented on how we should do it by the Lord himself. But his faith never falls. His faith remains firm. And I really believe there are some tremendous lessons that we can learn from a guy like this. And the first of which I really believe that, that is obvious and, and almost redundant to say, but the foundation of your faith is crucial. The foundation of your faith is crucial. I believe Job teaches us that. It's not about the externals. It's not about the fact that Job had all these things or that, that he was looked at as being a great man or, or that he had a good reputation. So for us, it's not about being good or, or attending church even, although those are good things. It's not about us having stuff or, or having maybe some rainy day resources or even being well-liked by people. That's not the foundation or not to be the foundation of our faith. Hard times and tragedies are going to come. I realize in church you want some good news. We're getting to the good news, but let me tell you the honest, real news of life. Hard times and tragedies are going to come. You live long enough, and everything that was taken from Job will be taken from you. Think about it. Your money's going to be gone. You can't take any of it with you. So it will be either taken while you're still living on earth or once you die. Somebody else is going to fight over all that stuff you got. You know, that's just the way it's going to be. They're going to haggle each other down. It's going to wind up in a yard sale. Somebody's going to buy your most prized possession for a nickel. It's going to be taken from you. Your family is going to be taken from you as well. Whether that's here on earth through tragedy of, of death or divorce or whatever it may be, or, or one day when you're on your deathbed and, and that family that you've known is not going with you at that point. Or you, you stand by the, the, the bedside of a person who's dying, whom you love and would give your life for. And they're taking from you. Eventually, you lose your family. Your health is going to go as well. Somebody say, amen. <laughs> I understand that. Listen, I, I don't feel the same way I used to feel. But you know, in a very real sense, all of us will face some health issues. Young, old, in between, our health will one day be taken from us. Those things that happened to Job are going to happen to us, which is why the foundation of our faith is so crucial. Because those things threaten the building, so to speak. Those are the winds and the rains and the hard times and the tragedies that are sure to come. None of us will escape any of that. It may be delayed for some. It may seem that we don't deal with these things. A certain It's going to come. Everything that was taken from Job will one day be taken from us. The foundation of our faith is crucial because of that. Not only that, that's also a reason that, that Satan's against us. You realize that. You see Satan being not, not only opposed to God, but opposed to Job, who was for God. Satan's coming after you. He's coming after me. He really does want to destroy us. He's not just trying to throw something in your path to make you fall down and look stupid. He wants to destroy us. In any way he can, through finances, through health, through family, whatever it may be, he wants to take you out. The foundation of your faith determines 
the response that you'll have in the day when tragedy comes, the day when Satan attacks. So one of the lessons we learned from Job is that the foundation of our faith is truly truthful. And I think by implication, the second lesson we learned is this, that the prosperity gospel is a lie. The prosperity gospel is a lie. Now, you may be familiar with that term, and you may not be, but let me define it for you. The prosperity gospel, also known as the health and wealth gospel, it teaches that God desires the material, spiritual, and physical prosperity of His people. And to become prosperous, all one has to do is to believe, to receive, and act upon God's promises. You ever heard somebody preach that? I don't often put names together with quotes. And it's disparaging against someone, but I think it's important. I preach that anyone can improve their lives. I think that God wants us to be prosperous. I think He wants us to be happy. To me, you need to have money to pay your bills. I think God wants us to send our kids to college. That's from Joel Osteen. He's a pastor of the biggest church in America, I can see that. Who would want to get in on something where you're miserable, poor, broke, and ugly? And you just have to muddle your way through until you get to heaven. I believe God wants us to have nice things. It's just your smile. Now, last night we began to deal with a relationship between peace and prosperity. We'll look at that again tonight. It says, my soul is far from prosperity. Why? My soul is far from peace because I forgot prosperity. We established last night that you are not whole until you get your money. And the irony of the guy who said that is his name, Creflo Dollar. Isn't that interesting? I'm not sure if you're aware of other folks who preach and teach those sorts of things, but I want you to know it's a lie. And I don't call anybody out in particular, because I'm sure folks have called me out too, but I'm concerned. And my heart really goes out to those who lack discernment to perceive the, the false teaching that exists in our world today. The problem with the prosperity gospel is not because God is against you and doesn't want you to, so he doesn't want to be good to you or something like that. that that's obviously not the case. God is for you. He's not against you. But the problem with the prosperity gospel, the problem with the teaching of these folks is, is primarily the Scripture. <laughs> Jesus said it would be difficult for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so why would it make it even harder by telling folks, if you're rich, then you must be blessed by God, and that could be your goal. Certainly nothing inherently wrong with wealth, but I think we get it out of balance. Paul said that the love of money causes all kinds of problems. It's the root of all sorts of evil. It can ruin a person, he said, in the scriptures. Jesus himself said that stuff doesn't last, so don't build your life on it. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Ephesians chapter 4, we're encouraged to think of others first and excel in giving away what we have to them. If you think further, the, the examples were given in Scripture. Abraham, here's a guy who certainly was promised blessing by God, but lived his entire life and never saw the blessing. You get that? He never saw the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to him came later, well after he was dead and gone. He never experienced it. Moses, a guy certainly who loved God, who was blessed by God, walked around in the desert with the Israelites, God's people, for 40 years, experiencing poverty and hunger. Joseph himself, as we looked at last week, a man who was full of integrity, full of faith, wrongly accused, thrown in prison. 
Jeremiah is a guy who was faithful to the Lord for 40 years, preached with very little or no fruit whatsoever in his ministry. You fast forward to, to Job, and, and you, you get the idea that his, his faithfulness to the Lord actually set him up. <laughs> he put him in a crossroads to be attacked. John the Baptist was beheaded. Paul was executed in prison. Jesus himself was crucified. Then you look at modern times and you see the hundreds of thousands of today's Christians who are poor, who are persecuted for their faith. And I think it becomes readily apparent that the idea that God is some vending machine that you put in faith and out comes all these material blessings, the idea that God is Santa Claus and you just make your list and you mail it to Him the right way with the right words and the right package, and poof, there you have it. Or that God is somehow just this grandfatherly figure that wants to spoil you rotten. I think it becomes readily apparent that that is a lie. And that's not to say, of course, that God isn't good or doesn't desire our good. I don't want you to misread what I'm saying. I don't want you to have a negative view of God. But the vending machine God is not the God of the Bible, nor is that the Gospel. The gospel is very clearly defined, and Paul said it in 1 Timothy chapter 1, and he says this is a statement that is worth repeating, worth receiving. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he says, and I am the worst of them. He says in Romans chapter 5, that at the right time, Jesus came to earth, and while we were still sinners, he died for us. The most famous verse in all the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16, says that God loved the world like this. He sent His Son to die, that whoever would believe would receive what? Eternal life. I think we have to understand that one of the lessons from Job, and I think we should take great encouragement from this, is that if the gospel is not true for the person who's poor and persecuted, it's certainly not true for any of the rest of us. Meaning that if I can't, with good faith, stand in front of someone and say, you know what, this is about your heart and about your soul and about your need for a Savior, and here's the answer to that, and yet over in some other country, in some other world, wherever that may be, I present to someone, let me tell you, Jesus will do all these things. Do you want freedom? You you want to get out of debt? You just believe in Jesus. It's not true for the person who's poor and starving and persecuted. And has no merit whatsoever. Praise God that it is. And if the real issue goes past all the material stuff, and it goes past all of that straight to my heart, the encouragement I believe we can take from that, from the story of Job, is that earthly blessing is not dependent upon the depth or amount of your faith. If you've wondered, do I just not have enough faith? That has nothing to do with it. Nothing whatsoever. Do I just need to name it and claim it? has nothing to do with it. Your material and earthly blessing has nothing to do with the depth of your faith. Jesus had perfect faith and had nothing on earth and was crucified. The truth is, and the great news is that we serve a God who can save our souls, not just one who can provide a better life for us. The prosperity gospel promises and delivers far too much. It only speaks of the here and now. Out of the great promise of hope and grace and mercy for your soul and for my soul and the promise of eternal life and the presence of Jesus Christ forever, the prosperity gospel can't do that for you. Be very discerning on what truth you receive. The 
doesn't mean that you have to listen to me only. It's not a plug for me. But we all have to be careful, don't we, that we focus on the real truth of the gospel. That Jesus came to save our souls, not just give us some better life now. There's great encouragement from that. Because Jesus is for you whether you're rich or whether you're poor. Whether you are healthy or whether you're dying. Whether your family is with you or whether they're not. Jesus loves you and He's for you. And He provided a way for you to know Him. Prosperity gospel, I really believe Joe shows us is a, is a lie. And then finally, the last lesson I think we learn is that the value of serving the Lord is found in gaining the Lord Himself. The value that is found in serving the Lord is, is truly found in gaining the Lord Himself. Job's words here, bless or praise the name of the Lord. How can we accept the good and not the bad? He implies here that everything can be taken, but the most valuable remains. And that's God Himself. God never left him. God never forsook him. Never walked away from Job. In fact, He's defending Job the whole time. Holding Job's faith up as an example for us. So Satan's question is, God, don't, don't you think that he's really serving you because of all you've given? Don't you think that, that those people there at Elm Grove, if, if you took things away from them, if you weren't so good to them, they, they'd just, they'd curse you. They, they wouldn't want anything to do with you. And God says, no, 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 you're missing the whole point. <laughs> yes, I want to be good to my children. Yes, I love them. And, and, and yes, I want good things for them, but that is secondary to them getting It's secondary to them receiving Jesus. The real value is not in the stuff we get from God. Though praise God for the blessing of living where we live. The real value is in gaining the Lord Himself. Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter 3, and he gives his testimony, and he says, I used to have all these things, and I had this great education, this great family, this great job, and all this stuff, and I was widely known, and I was very popular, and I was good at what I did, and he said, then I met Jesus. And all that stuff now I consider to be a loss, even a detriment to me, compared to the surpassing greatness, he said, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's a guy who had it all. And said, it doesn't matter because I have Jesus and He is enough. And though everything may be taken, Paul wrote that, you realize, from prison, knowing he was going to die. And he says, nothing matters to me except knowing Jesus, my Lord. John the Baptist would, would say in, in the third chapter of John, at the very end, and Jesus is coming to the forefront. John had had a great ministry, but he realized he was just the forerunner. And they asked him, hey, you know, how do you feel about all this stuff? Here's Jesus on the scene now to take your place. How do you feel? John said, it's exactly the way it should be. I must be pleased. He is the most valuable, he says. John will later be in prison and be beheaded in all the while, knowing that it's Jesus, who my friend The question then for you and me is, why do we serve the Lord? Seriously. Why, here in America, in Murray, Kentucky, at Elm Grove Baptist Church, do you serve the Lord? Why do I serve it? Is it because it, it makes me a better person? 
hope it does. Is it because of, of some blessing that, I, that I'm anticipating receiving? And with that, am I thinking in, in physical or spiritual terms of the true blessing that I really receive? The question that Satan had about Job is the same question he's been asked a lot of us. If God and Satan ever had a conversation about you, and you're a person who is serving the Lord, I would venture to say that part of the conversation is going to include, well, yeah, I understand God didn't understand, but they, they really, they just like you because of what you give them. They just like you because they have their money. They just like you because they've got their family and they've got their health. And you know what, God, if all that were taken away, they, they wouldn't. They wouldn't serve you. They wouldn't like you. They might still show up to church. They wouldn't like you. Man. That same question is going to be asked about all of us. So what do we do? Now, I, want to, I want to close with this statement that sort of sums up the charge that I believe we received from the book of Job and, and received just in general scripture, and that is this. Build your faith on the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because He alone must be the foundation for your faith. Build your faith on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. He alone must be the foundation for your faith. What's involved? What, what's included in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Grace, mercy, freedom, hope, forgiveness. That's what comes through the cross and through the resurrection. And you'll be able, like Paul, like John the Baptist, to say, nothing compares. I don't care if it's all taken away. Nothing compares to me receiving Jesus. He is what is most valuable. He must increase. I must decrease. How do you build your life on Him? Well, it's just like that building. You start with the foundation. And you daily, every single day, you say, He must increase. That includes gaining knowledge and understanding about Him. Trusting and applying His principles that we find in the Scripture. I mean, that means having a commitment to Him even when it's hard. That means that our goals and our decisions are no longer based on what we just by default think, but we go to what would the Lord be thinking in this situation? How does He think about it? What does He say? What decision would honor Him? In our language, in our conversation, Jesus increases, we decrease. In our attitude, in our work, in our relationships, in our family, Jesus becomes the foundation for all that we do, all that we think, and all that we say. Now, there are some who say, well, you know, that, that's, that's good, but what if I've come to it? And what if, what if hard times have, have come? What if tragedy has come and, I, and I've fallen apart? I've been the one who's cursed God. I, I've said to him, God, I, I, I don't want anything to do with you. Um, if you've shown up to church this morning, maybe just that home, just to get somebody off your back. Or because maybe you think that somehow that'll please God and, and, and fix everything. I, I don't know. What if you do if you, if you stumble? The great news is that that's the exact reason why Jesus came. Because all of us are going to stumble from time to time. Because He knew that we could not stand on our own, so He came to stand in our place. To have perfect faith before the Lord, to live a perfect life, and to die a perfect sacrifice to then offer grace, redemption, mercy, forgiveness, and hope to others. What do you do if you stumble? You go to Jesus Christ. Do you try to do a bunch of good things to make up for it? No. Why? Because you can't. 
you go to Him. He's already made that choice. He's already paid the price for your crumbling, for your sin, and for my sin, and for my crumbling. He's paid the price. He's offered forgiveness. He's offered grace, something we didn't deserve. And we go to Him, and we receive the person and the work of Jesus Christ that are available. He's strong where we have been weak. He's perfect where we have failed. He offers grace and love and mercy and another chance where we just want to punish ourselves. <laughs> That's who Jesus is. That's the work we get on the cross. The story of Job shows that the, the foundation of our faith cannot be the promise of material blessing or the removal of life's problems. Job, a man of perfect integrity, it says, who feared the Lord and turned away from evil, faced tragedy that none of us can imagine. And so that's not the truth of the gospel. That only what God gives you, the truth of the gospel, is we get Him. So the foundation of our faith must be Jesus Christ. He is the only one who makes life worth living, the only one who can give us the strength and grace when life begins to take away what wants it to give us. That hope is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And if we are not building our lives on that foundation, then we are laboring. Bible says, in vain. For no reason. Because if your foundation in life is your stuff, if your foundation in life is your money, is your family, is your health, as I've already mentioned, one day, it's all going to be taken away. And what will you be left with then? Paul said, I will be left with Jesus Christ. That's enough. My prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we'll see Jesus as enough. And He will be, and He alone will be the foundation of our faith. And anything else that God brings blessing-wise that's in our life, we simply praise Him for. God, how can I use this for Your glory? God, thank You for Your goodness. But most, thank You for Jesus Christ. Build your life on the foundation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And when all is taken away, He remains. Oh, Jesus, thank you for being the foundation of our faith. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to, to increase our own faith so that we can somehow receive your blessing that you gave the greatest blessing before we even had faith. The blessing of Jesus or may we see our money and our health and our family, Lord, yes, as blessings from you, but not as the foundation of our lives. And Lord, for each of us individually, and for us as a church family, Lord, may we build the foundation of our faith, not on those things, but on Jesus Christ alone. So, Lord, this week, when hard times or tragedy may come, may our foundation be you and you alone. Thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you are infinitely good, far more than we can imagine, and that you never leave us when troubles come. We praise you in Jesus' name.